भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुवागंसस्तनो व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवाह स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तिर्नस्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमि स्वस्ती नो बृहस्पतिर्दधा ओं शांति 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 May we hear with our ears what is auspicious. May we see with our eyes what is auspicious. While praying with steady limbs, may we attain the lifespan allotted to us. May Indra bestow well-being on us. May Pushan, the god of the earth, who is all-knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil. bestow well-being on us may brihaspati also bestow well-being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we started studying the second chapter of the first part of mundaka upanishad which in just deals with the karma kanda of the vedas as we indicated in the last class the upanishads are not meant for the karmakandas they are meant for the gyana kanda that when we have developed sufficient renunciation to have to understand to realize that we can never as such attain the real freedom liberation through karma through all those ritualistic actions then a natural renunciation for all those action is bound to follow and then one starts pursuing for the knowledge for the gyana for the brahma gyana for the knowledge of brahman the ultimate reality so then why this chapter is being this wise chapter is being dedicated to the karmakanda in just to show that what are the things which we can gain through all those karmas and then to point out their limitations and then to to certain extent discourage us to get too much attached to all those karma they have their place renunciation cannot be forced if we really have a feeling let us go through that with the idea that is not ultimate that through all those let the renunciation develop spontaneously as sri ramakrishna's example which we always cite again and again that when you have an injury there is a scab over the injury in the process of healing the scab is formed and it has to fall off by itself if you try to force it out if you try to remove it by force then the wound will lacerate it won't heal so renunciation cannot be forced 
So through these experiences, one should gradually develop that renunciation. So that's why the Upanishad in gist is dealing with this subject. So in the last class, we were studying from the first to the second mantra of the second chapter. So today we will quickly recapitulate the fifth and the sixth mantra, where we find that the effects of karma has been enunciated. That what are the results which we accrue by doing those yajyas. So the fifth mantra, eteshu yah charate bhrajamaneshu yatha kalam cha ahutayah hi adadayan tang nayanti etaha suryasya rashmayo yatra devanam patihi ekaha adhivasaha. So what it is speaking of? A man who performs the sacrifices. Yeah, charate. So those who perform the sacrifices. And that also perfectly. When, when the flames are shining. Bhraja manasu. Yeah, charate. Yeah, charate. They perform the sacrifices. Bhraja manasu. When the flames are fully lighted. They're shining. And the offering has to be done in proper time, yatha kalam, in proper time. And that also when the sacrificial fires have been lit, lit properly, is aflame properly, is being ignited properly. And then even the oblations has to be offered correctly, is taken up. And then when you offer the oblations, as has been mentioned in the last class, imagining that the flames are as if like the two this jaws. The flames are like the two jaws in between which you offer the oblations. So that's through the mouth of the Agni Devata, the oblations reaches to the deity to whom I am offering those oblations. So that's the idea. So when I have done it properly, then what happens? Then these oblations are taken up and is carried by these oblations. A man actually is, his good karma is carried by these oblations, is taken up and carried by the oblations. That's being indicated in the second line. Tang, this nayanti cha ahutayahi adadayan. Whatever oblations you're offering, with that offering, you are as if taken up, you're carried up on the rays of the sun. Suryasya rashmayo. Where you're taken up, to where dwells the, the sovereign God, the Yatra Devanam Patihi Ekaha Adhivas, the God of the gods. It speaks of the Hiranyagarbha. So you are taken to the Brahmaloka when the sacrifices are done properly. It may be either Indraloka or the Brahmaloka. So that's what is meant by Yahan. Devanam patihi ekah adhivasa. So we were studying it in last class. We did not go to the details of it because it's something which just and doesn't need much explanation. The next mantra, it elaborates poetically that how one is taken up by the oblations to the heavens when one has performed the sacrifices perfectly. So what's that mantra that also we studied in the last class? 
सुकृतो so come you're welcome you're welcome that's what he is the word which means please come welcome you're welcome that's how you have been welcomed that's how you have been you will be called suvarchasa suvarcha means the one who has performed the sacrifices perfectly so the luminous oblations say to the sacrificer, what do they say? Come, come, ehi, ehi. And lead him to the rays of the sun. Suryasya Rashmivi Yajamanam Vahanti. So you are carried, your car, your chariot is the rays of the sun on which you have been, you have been carried. Yajamanam, the one who has performed the sacrifice. The, the performer of the sacrifice is the Yajamana. So this Yajaman, the sacrificer, is being carried by the rays of the sun, worshipping all the while. And when he's carried, he's being constantly being praised and worshipped. Archayantaha. By worshipping you, you are carried. Just the way you will find that when the minister goes or the president of a country is traveling, he's escorted by the security, by others. So similarly, you are being escorted. You have been escorted by these luminous oblations. They carry you on the rays of the sun. So they carry you, greeting you with the pleasant words, Priyam Vacham Avivadantyaha. With the pleasant words, they will go on greeting you. And then taking you to the Brahmaloka, they will say, So this is the Brahmaloka earned by the great deeds of yours. So all the sacrifices which you have done perfectly. Not only sacrifices, but the sacrifices are accompanied by feeding the guests. Not only that, even you might have done some humanitarian activities. So all those has been indicated as the great deeds. So all these things have earned you this special loka. So you have been greeted and taken there. That's the idea of heaven, which we find in all the dualistic religion. Here also in Vedas, that idea was there. But interestingly, they never stopped there. That's the thing which they have spoken of again and again, that though it may be for a long time compared to our present birth, present human life, it may as if seem to be eternity, but still it has an end. Again, you have to come back. So that's not the thing which we should aspire for. So that will be spoken of in the next mantra. So the sixth mantra, the idea of this Brahma Loka is, speaks of the Hiranya Garbhatva Prapti, Ishwar, the cosmic mind, who is the representation of this Ishwara, who is equivalent to the Ishwara. His Loka, we all attain that Loka. That's the idea of the God in all the dualistic religion. So that's the idea which we find even in the Bhagavad Gita, the almost the same idea that when you have done the sacrifices properly, you have done humanitarian activities, you have accrued a lot of good results, then what is your way to heaven? 
Agnir Jyoti Rahang Shuklaha. In Bhagavad Gita, in the eighth chapter, it is there, the 24th sloka. Agni is almost similar. Agnir Jyoti Raha Shuklaha. Shanmasha Uttarayanam Tatra Prayata Gachanti Brahma Brahma Vido Janaha. So, what is the course? What are the milestones which you are crossing to reach the Brahmaloka? The fire, light, daytime, bright half of the moon, and the six months of the northward passage. Well, this when in the northern hemisphere, and when the sun is the six months is on the northern uh, on the northern hemisphere, that's the time when the uh, what you say the sky is sunny. It's full of light. In the winter, the daytime is short. In the summer, the days are long. And in the northern hemisphere, it's in the summer when the sun is part, passing the north northward passage. So as India is in the northern hemisphere, we find they have mentioned this northward passage. Most probably for Australia, it will be the southward passage. Here, the summer is just the opposite. We have maximum daylight in uh, the, what you say the months, which are so-called uh, uh, just opposite to that of the northern hemisphere, and that also when the sun sun is following the southward passage, then only we have the summer here. So idea is when it is full of illumination, as the sun has to do something with life. Without sun, there cannot be life. So everything related to the sun, fire, light, daytime. And even if it's night, it is a bright half of the moon. And that also it has to be done. At night, we don't get sun. But during the bright half of the moon, the indirect sun rays reaches us. So that also speaks of the brilliance of the sun, bright half of the moon, and the sixth month of the northward journey, northern hemisphere. And of course, it will be southward for the southern hemisphere. So what it indicates that you are carried. If we just take them to be allegorical statement, the crux of it, the idea behind it is, it's a path of illumination through which you are taken to that highest look in the highest loka, highest level of existence in this relative existence. Even Brahma Loka is within that relative existence. It's not something which is beyond the limitations of transitoriness. It has also to end. So here Brahman is a Saguna Brahma, but this Brahma Loka is not the Nirguna Brahma. It is a Saguna Brahma. It is a God with attributes, Brahman with attributes, which has been spoken of here. This you can attain. In Bhagavad Gita, these two words will come. Whenever there is a question of Brahma Jnana, the real establish identity, identification with your own nature. For that, nothing, no such locus are needed. Here and now you can attain it the moment the realization comes. And what's that attainment? You find that you were that reality all the way. It was just because of forgetfulness. You, you never realized that you are Brahman. So that is called apti. That is not prapti. That is apti. Praptasya prapti. That the thing which is already with you, you are forgetful about it, you realize it. So here, when it is saying that you are going to Brahma Loka, it is not 
It is not apti. It is prapti. It is a saguna brahman. It is really going to certain plane of existence. And if there is a going, you have to again come back. So because abrahma, in Bhagavad Gita we find, abrahma bhuvana loka, bhuvanat loka, punaravarti nojun. So all sorts of prapti, anything which you attain, which is not yours, in time, it has to decay, it has to experience decay and death. Anything which you attain, which is not yours, you get it. You have to lose it. This is the idea uh, which has been spoken of again and again in the Vedas, in the Upanishads. Anything which you attain, the thing, the thing which is yours, which you are, no one can take away from you. But anything which no, I am not, I have attained, ultimately will it lead to decay and death. And it will again bring us back to earth when all the uh, this punya, all the good results which we have accrued, that is exhausted, again you have to come back to this life. And again you have to start again uh, with your karma. What is that? That's the idea. Abrahma bhuvana loka punaravarti nochuna. Punara puna avarta. You have to again come back. It's only when you get established in your own self. There is no question of going somewhere. You know who you are. Then again in Bhagavad Gita, that's the real Brahma Jnana. That's the real, that is not prapti, that is apti. For that, yat katvana nivartante. When you reach that, there is no question of coming back. Taddhama paramangmama. In Bhagavad Gita say, that is the supreme abode. When you realize your own self, there is no question of coming back. Yad katva na nivartante. Taddhama paramangmama. In the 15th chapter, in Gita, in the Purushottama Yoga, we find Bhagavan is mentioning. So the same idea is being reiterated, has been explained again in the Upanishad. Actually, Bhagavad Gita is the explanation of the Upanishads because this is a Sruti Shastra. It comes fast. Bhagavad Gita came later. That is the Smriti Shastra. Based on those ideas, the ideas of Bhagavad Gita has been explained, interpreted. So these from this is the basic scripture from which the other scriptures have evolved. The Shrutis have evolved. So here we find that the concepts we will find that here that mukti can be of three types. From this we can find this jivan mukti, videha mukti and krama mukti. That most of those who even go to Brahma Loka from there also you may come back but there are a few who have developed so deep contemplation that after going to Brahma Loka, they continue because of their sanskar, they continue with that contemplation to attain the liberation from there and they don't come back. So those souls are as if have got liberation in sequence. From this world, they went to the higher world and where they continued with their contemplation to get liberation. So that's called Krama Mukti. And there are some who after death, in the life, in this present life, they have attained Jivan Mukti. That 
while living, they have realized the real nature. But because of the Prarabdha, the past karma, the body continued. Though they have attained Jivan Mukti, the body continued. And when the body has fallen off, there is no return. For others, after the body has fallen off, again, there's a question of return. But for them, when the body has fallen off, there is no question of return. So first they attain this Jivan Mukti, those who have attained Jivan Mukti, on death, they attain the Videha Mukti. And those who have not attained, but they are, have the good sanskaras enough to continue with the contemplation in the Brahmaloka, from there they attain liberation. That's the Kroma Mukti. So these are the ideas which you will find directly or indirectly is being spoken of in this chapter. So the sacrifices of Karmakanda, after speaking of the benefits, the positive results which we can get from the sacrifices, now the Upanishad will condemn the Karmakanda by speaking of its limitations. The Karmakanda are condemned from the very next mantra. Let us proceed to the next mantra. The seventh mantra, what it speaks of, that the limitations of all the good results which have accrued through all the sacrifices. Let us read the mantra and then we will go to the explanation. So these mantras help us in one way. Maybe in the present age, we may not find that these yagyas have, is not practiced anymore. They have been obliterated. But we get the idea of the practices in the olden days. That's one thing. And second, in gist, we get the idea that even though the yagyas we are not doing, but sometimes we do humanitarian activities, how we are doing, with what type of attitude we are doing, that's very important. That also will be spoken of in the succeeding mantras. And that's how we can relate to the mantras even in the present day. So let us read the mantra, the seventh mantra. Plavahi ete adrira yagya rupa. Ashtadasha uktam avaram yeshu karma. Etat sreya ye avhinandanti mura. Jara mrityu tepuna eva apiyanti. The Sanskrit is beautiful. Plavahi ete adrira yagya rupa. Plava. It's frail. It is very frail. Adrira. So, this foundation is very weak. This, all these yagyas, its foundation is very weak. It is not going to give you the ultimate, this eternity. Just the way when we, any bridge is constructed, they will say its age, how, for how long it is going to stay based on the foundation, based on the structure they have made, they can say that for 100 years. So similarly, these locus do you do have a foundation, but they are not going to be for their, for, uh, they are not going to be there through eternity. They do will break. They are also fragile, they're frail. So frail are those constituents of the sacrifices. If the constituents themselves are frail, if the, the foundation itself is frail, how can the structure stand? So this, all the constituents of the sacrifices, they themselves are frail. So what are those constituents? There are 18 constituents. Ashtadasha, Uktam, 
avaram yeshu karma ashtadasha so we will come what are these 18 18 constituents they themselves are frail so how can its result be eternal etat sreyah ye abhinandanti mura the fools who rejoice it is only the fools who rejoice in them as the highest good so murha murha means murha means fool etat sreya this is the this is the best thing nothing can be better than that those who say this thus those who abhinand those who rejoice by thinking that this is the highest thing they are all fools murha etat sreya ye abhinandanti murah jaramrityu te punah eva apiyanti why they are full because again again and again they will fall victim of old age and death jaramrityu so now let us take this slogan this mantra part by part that ashtadasha there are as if 18 foundation 18 constituents they themselves are not per the eternal what are those 18 constituents so this will give an idea of the yagya that in the olden days how elaborate those yagyas were how many people were involved it is actually 18 constituents actually speaks of 18 persons there is to be 16 priests the yajamana the one who is performing the sacrifice he has to be married so that's the sacrifice the one who is performing sacrifice he and his wife there are two and 16 priests this constitutes 18 so that's why the wife in the indian means from the indian background in the hindu religion the wife is called sahadharmini means sahadharma the one who accompanies you in your dharma in your religion in your spiritual journey so here we find the sacrificer he has to be with his wife before marriage no one can perform the sacrifice the sacrifice has to be done along with the wife so that was the importance that both has to be uh, there they can be uh, without wife you cannot perform sacrifice if you have if you know if you just can remember the ramayana story when sita was and this admonished he was she was in forest she was abandoned then rama for doing the sacrifice as a substitute had to construct a golden sita it cannot be it is just uh, uh, what you say that somehow to uh, please yourself it has to be the real wife but just to give the idea that such was the necessity that without the wife you cannot perform sacrifice so sacrificer along with the wife and who are the 16 priests for each vedas there has to there were four priests for rik sama yaju and atharva for rik there will be the four priests they they are there to offer the oblations they are called the hota the hota means the one who observes one who offers oblations and then there will be four priests from the samaveda they are called the udgata so say udgita from that the word udgata came gita means to sing so the for the rigveda the priests of the rigvedas will be offering the oblations the 
these four priests of the Samaveda will be singing the hymns and chanting the mantras from the Vedas. Then you may say, if they are singing the hymns and chanting the mantras, then most probably Rig Veda mantras who are offering, they need not know the mantras. No. They also have to know the, all the mantras. Otherwise, how will they know for which mantra what to offer? So they also know all the, all the mantras by heart. They also have memorized. But they are there for offering. So unless they know all the mantras, they cannot offer uh, appropriately. For what mantra, what's the offering? So that's what they have to know. For that they also actually have memorized the entire Vedas. So the Rig Veda, the Sama Veda. Sama Veda is the four priests are the Udgata. They sing hymns and chant mantras. And for the Yajur Vedas, the priests are called the Advaryu. Just see, this, these are all in the, as these mantras are there, so we have to bring into discussion. And that way we come to know about the Vedic society, that how elaborate these rituals were. There's four priests who, who represents, who were the authentic persons who knew the Yajur Veda by heart. So they were the Adhvaryu. They will instruct the sequence of various rites. The rites has, has various sequence. So they will help you, the, help the one who is singing and who is offering by saying you the sequence. So they are there for the, because it's extremely elaborate. These yagyas were extremely elaborate. So there has to be someone to indicate the sequence by which it is there. And the Atharva Vedas, priests are called prastota if you remember they don't take part directly in the yagya they don't take part directly but they will be singing they will chant some special hymns called prastava that's why they are called prastota so this you can relate even in the present day the remnant of it in hot in hot way this hota is the pujari the one who is doing the puja Udgata is the Tantradhar, the one you will find that who helps the Pujari to chant the mantras. So he is the Udgata. Prastota, all the devotees, when the Puja is going on, the others, those who are attending the Puja, you will find they are singing something else. They are like the one of the Atharvaveda, the Prastota. This Puja is going on along with its all the mainstream hymns are being sung, are being chanted by the Udgata, but there are many other subsidiary hymns which are in the Atharva Veda. They're not directly related to the uh, sacrifice, but they also have to be there to chant those special times, uh, these uh, hymns. And you will find during the puja, there is someone called Jogari who is there as per the sequence to forward the things which are needed for the puja, for any Puja. So they are the Advaryu, the Jogari. So the Pujari, the Tantradharak, the Jogari, and all those who are chanting while attending the Puja. So these are the four, the remnants we find even in the present practice, though it's not that elaborate, it's still there in a different form. So these are the 16 priests, along with this one who is doing the sacrifice and his wife. This constitutes the 18 constituents of the pillar on which the result of your sacrifice is being constructed. Now this Upanishad is saying very nice. These 
18 constituents themselves are not eternal. How can its result be eternal? So they themselves, Ashtadasha Uktam Avaram Yeshu Karma. So this, the actions which are done by these 18 priests, they themselves are frail. Plava, frail, fragile, because anything that is white is fragile, but anything that is utpadya must be vinashya. Anything which you which you can conglomerate to create anything in this world, you have to conglomerate so many constituents to produce it. So whenever anything you are producing, that is utpadya, producing, it has to decay. So these are the wonderful generalizations in the Vedas. In the life you see, whatever you have that you have constructed, in time it decays. So the results of this uh, sacrifice, which also are the products of various constituents, they are also vinasha. They have to meet the same fate of destruction. And they also have to go through the Sharavikara at this Jayate Asti Vardhate Viparinamate Apakshyate Nasti. It's all the results were born at certain point of time. It exists for a certain point of time. For some time it flourishes and then it starts uh, decomposing, decaying at last. It has to meet the same fate, the destruction. So that's why it is Plava. So, so Vedas may advertise by saying that, but we find that yag, the result of the yagya has been mentioned where many will that the Karmakandis they argue that the result of the yagyas is eternal. It is mentioned in the Vedas. As we find in the Vedas, it is mentioned Akshayam Havai Chaturmasya Yajino Falam Bhavati Akshayam. That, that which has no kshaya, which has no decay, but know it for certain, even in Bhagavad Gita, it has been mentioned. These are all flowery words. Yes, compared to the present life, it may appear to be eternal, but it is not eternal. These are all meant for advertisement, these words. It's the propaganda, as has been mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, as will be mentioned even in this Upanishad. That in Bhagavad Gita, we find it is mentioned, Yamimang Pushpitang, pushpitang Vachan. Yamimang Pushpitang Vachan Pravadantya Vipaschita Veda Vada Rata Partha Nanya Dastiti Vadina. Those of the limited understanding, they only get attracted with the flowery words. In the world, we find as long as we are ignorant, entire world is there for advertisement. It's only after burning your hands you understand that it was an advertisement. So many times we get fooled in this by the advertisement everywhere. Everyone is there to get the benefit out of you. And that you realize only later. Why we get fooled? Because we are we all have little experience, little understanding. Even the worldly day-to-day -day life, we find that the same thing happens. Even here, with all this, the church, the priest, and everything, at last we will find, to a certain extent, they are also like the middleman. They are advertising a lot but most probably they cannot deliver what they're advertising. So that's being, being mendicated here, that those with limited understanding, they get attracted by these flowery words of the Vedas. 
which advocate these elaborate rituals for taking you to the celestial abodes. And, and you uh, just hearing to those advertisements, you presume that there is nothing higher than that. So that will be spoken of even in this Upanishad in the next mantra. Because why? That however the higher realm you may attain, unless it takes you to that final liberation by realizing the your eternal, your eternal nature, by getting the Brahma Jnana, know it for certain, Jara Mrityu Te Puna Eva Apiyanti. This Jara and Mrityu, decay and death is there waiting for us. So these are the things, Jara Vyadhi Mrityu, seeing that Buddha is also what a, that awakening. He was totally enclosed in the palace so that he may not experience the harsh the harsh facts of life. But we find that one day when he goes out, these are the things he sees. Jara Vyadhi Mrityu. And then he realizes we all have to go through that. So even for this, the results of this Yajna, that also has to meet the same end. As has been spoken of in the Bhagavad Gita, Kshine Punye Martalokam Vishanti. When your Punya becomes Kshina, you have exhausted the results of your good action. Martyalokam Vishanti. Again, we have to come down to this world of death. Martyaloka. Where you, why this world is called Martyaloka? Because here we are bound to meet Mrityu. Anyone who is meeting has to meet Mrityu is a Martya. As we all have to experience death, so we are all called Martya. So this Loka is called Martya Loka. When this, our Punya, our results of the good action get exhausted, again we have to come down to this level. So in the next mantra we will find that it is the ignorance whose offshoot is the karma, the desire and karma that will be condemned in the next mantra. So very, it's a very powerful mantra. In very strong words, the Upanishad is condemning those who says that this karma is all the be-all and end-all of uh, the spiritual journey. So what is that sloka? What is this mantra? Avidyayam antare vartamana swayam dhiraha panditam manyamanaha janghanyamana Pariyanti Muraha Andhe Naiva Niyamana Yatha Andhaha. So, very powerful mantra. What is saying? Avidyayam Antare Vartamana. The ignorance, you are still infatuated. Your heart is still shadowed with ignorance. Avidyayam Antare in your, in the, within yourself, within your heart. Vartamana still exists ignorance. For most of us who are in the worldly sense are, have, have flourished, in the worldly sense we have flourished, wealthy, we have power, name and fame, we find that they develop that false pride. That vague is that pride, that vain is that pride because it is in no way speaks of the reality. Ignorance is still in them. So these people who have 
uh, got lot of wealth, power, position in this life, or even hereafter they may go to heaven. They think they are the intelligent ones. They have managed to get established in life. And that's the be all and end all of existence. To have wealth, to have power, to have position in this life and afterlife. So they think they are the Pandita. They are the real clever person, intelligent person. So Swayam Dhiraha Panditam Manyamana. They think themselves as Pandita, Manyamana. They consider themselves. But actually, in their heart, it is totally shadowed with ignorance. So for them, what's the fate? What's the result they meet? Janghanyamana Pariyanti Muraha. They have to go round and round this life of birth and death. Janghanyamana speaks of that, this wheeling around and around in this cycle of birth and death. They're the fools actually. Though they think themselves as intelligent, but they're murhaha. And not not only that, they, they not only brag, they say, follow me. Just see how rich I am. How wealthy I am. If you have to flourish in life, follow me. So it is like what? Andhe naiva niyamana yathandha. It is just like a blind leading. It is this blind led by the blind. Or blind leading the blind. So that's the andhe naiva niyamana. He himself is blind and he is uh, guiding the others. They are also blind. It is a blind leading the blind. So just see how powerful the mantra is. The fools dwelling in darkness, but considering themselves wise and puffed up with a vain scholarship, wonder about Pariyanti, being afflicted by many ills. This Janghanyamana, birth and death. This is the ills. And they are like blind men led by the blind. So wonder about in the cycle of what? Avidya Kama Karma. This is the thing which we have described again and again. This is the cycle of Avidya Kama Karma, which keeps us bound in this worldly existence. Avidya, ignorance. Ignorance of what? Of our real nature. The ignorance of our real nature results in Kama, the desire. How? That the example which we give again and again. That the fulfillment of desires is never entails in happiness. The real happiness comes from desirelessness. It's not the fulfillment of desire that gives us happiness. It's the desirelessness, the lack of desire that gives us happiness. To explain that, the simile of Swami Vivekananda, which we have referred to again and again, again we will be referring, that our real nature, Satchidananda, is just like the bottom of the lake. The lake is turbulent. All the turbulence speaks of our desires, of our thoughts, our desires, our concerns. The bottom of the lake is our real nature. Just the way when the lake has a lot of waves, I cannot see the bottom. I can see the bottom when the water is transparent and the water is calm. 
So though beyond our mind, the mind is like the lake, the lake, the lake called mind behind that real nature is there. I'm supposed to experience the bliss of my real nature always. But what, why don't I re- realize that? Because it is not percolating. It's not visible because of the waves. The Satchit Ananda Swarup, Swarupa is getting obscured. Very interesting. The Sat Swarupata, that never gets obscured. Sat Swarupata means that my existence, I never doubt that I exist. Chit Swarupata, I am aware of my existence. Whether I am sad, whether I am happy, I am aware of my existence. I never forget my existence. So the Sat Swarupata, the Chit Swarupata, that never gets obscured. It's a selective filtration. Just like a mica sheet. You know, in the olden days, the rich men, in their windows, in the tropical country, they will have the mica sheets in their window. Why? The mica sheet is, it allows the light to pass through, but not the heat. It's an insulator, it's heat insulation, but it allows the light to pass through. So the indoors, to keep it cool, they used to use the mica sheet. So it's an example of selective filtration. It allows light, but not the heat. So similarly, when the mind is turbulent, it allows the satsvarupata, the chitsvarupata pass, to pass through. But what it obscures is the ananda svarupata. And when I'm tormented by desires, I'm not happy. But when the desire gets fulfilled, then I'm happy. What happens when I'm tormented by thousands of desires? It is pulling me hither and thither. My mind is fully agitated. Then one huge desire subdues all of them. We find that sometimes our life, in our life, something which is infatuating me to a high intensity that makes me forget all other desires. That's the only one desire. I have to get it. I have to get it. And the moment that desire, that intense desire is fulfilled, for the time being, a let go ensues. And you feel ecstatic, tremendously happy. And you think the thing which I got, that has given me happiness. But actually what has happened? That the mind was turbulent with thousands of waves. All those waves were subdued by a huge wave, that intense desire. And when that was fulfilled, for the time being, there was no wave. The mind was calm for the little time. And now the Ananda Swarupata, which gets obscured, that starts percolating through your body, mind, senses. You're so happy. And here comes the question of ignorance. What is the ignorance? I think the happiness is because of the prapti, because of the thing that is outside. I don't realize it is actually apti. The thing which I have, from there only it is coming. It is percolating, it is welling up. In English, they say happiness wells up. These words are so important, welling up, what it means. In a well, when you pump out the entire water, you need not have to fill the water from outside again. The underground water wells up. Similarly, the happiness wells up. Once the mind is totally calm, it wells up. It is already there. It is something always with me. But because of a jnana, I think the fulfillment of desire, 
is going to give me happiness. So all these yagyas, everything with the desire to attain heaven is from the karma, desire. And that karma results in karma. And when the desire is fulfilled, after some time a new desire arises, your peace has gone, again you are chasing after that and it doesn't end. It goes on and on. It's like a hedonistic treadmill, ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of shore. Just as Swamiji is writing in his poem, how nice these lines are, ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of shore. It's a hedonistic treadmill, hellish. It never gives us satisfaction. It always keeps us unsatisfied. Dissatisfaction is not equal to dukkha. This dukkha doesn't mean sorrow. It means dissatisfaction. The sorrow and dissatisfaction is not the same. When I am enjoying my life, of course I'm not I'm not big, I'm not sorrow. I'm not having, I'm not sorrowful. I'm not sad. Uh, when I'm relishing the dish which I like most, I'm of course happy. But am I satisfied? That's the big question. I'm not satisfied. Because when I am relishing, already the desire for the second serve has developed in me. So it never satisfies me. Once the satisfaction comes again, second time, third time, again and again I go for it. And why I go for it? Because I think the happiness is something outside. To get that thing will give me happiness. If I would have known that nothing in this world can give me happiness, happiness is coming from within. All this chase would have stopped. I would have tried to be dhira, as in the Upanishad, this word dhira will be used again and again to calm down, to make the mind equipoise. That's why the Swamiji used to say in the Bible that one sentence speaks of the entire religion, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity speaks of that calmness of the mind. Purity is not just mere external clean, cleanliness. It is a cleaning of the mind. When the mind is calm, you are bound to see God. Your own nature, which is the soul of your soul that is reveals. Till then, we have to go round and round. That is our idea of Pariyanti. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, give an example, that a bullock, which is supposed to grind the oil, how it is made to go round and round to grind the oil. A bamboo stick is tied on its head between the horns and some straw is hanged. And just to get the straw, the, the bullock starts moving and it actually is tied to that uh, revolving stone and the stones goes are revolving. It never gets the straw because it is fixed with the stick in front of his head. See, in its attempt to get it, it goes on and on, moving round and round. And that's what is being meant by Pariyanti. And it at last, what it tells is, in all the eels come from that Janghanyamara, this Janghanyamana, this Jara Vyadhi Mrityu, in our attempt, in the chasing the happiness, so many times we have been born, we met this uh, decay, disease, and death. And still, as we are short-sighted, as we don't see what's there waiting for us in future, a little uh, achievement in this life 
makes us so vain, so proud. And just what we start doing, we say, follow me. The world is there with this advertisement and all the so-called, those who have got established in life, they are as if advertising, saying, see, follow me. This is the way you can enjoy the life. They are actually the charvakas. The word charvaka is very interesting. The charvaka means materialists. But who, that, but who are the materialists? Why they are called charvakas, the materialists? Because they speak very pleasant words. Charvaka came from this word charvaka, if you break, it becomes charu vaka. Charu means pleasant, vaka means speech. Those who speak very pleasant. Why do they speak very pleasant? Because for them, this is the only life. Enjoy it. After death, nothing is there. If that's so, then why think of all those moral values and all? That their, their philosophies, yavat jivet, sukham jivet. As long as you uh, live, it is the only life you have. As long as you live, live happily. And for living happily, what you have to do? Take loan. Rinam kritva, gritam pivet. Take loan and relish the ghee, clarified butter. That's that's a delicacy in, in the Vedic society. So anything, even in the Indian, uh, any offering you will find, it has to be with the ghee. So gritam pivet. But where will I get the ghee? Take loan. How will I get the loan? With, with sweet words, manage to get money. That means you can be fooling others. It's all advertisement. You will be fooling others. You find how appropriate it is. Everyone is there all, in all the fields of life you will find. Oh, so many people are there, all are waiting to fool us with advertisement, with sweet words. Why? After all, this is the only life. Enjoy. Somehow full, get the money, enjoy your life. So this type of philosophy is like blind leading the blind. Why? What to speak of spiritual life? Spiritual life, you forget. Even with this type of philosophy, you cannot think of a, a very stable society because constantly you will be doubting others. There won't be any faith. You'll find how true it is in the present day for anything you have to work, do. Anything you'll find that the thing that you constantly we are doubting others, whatever may be the profession people profess, are they really sincere or are they just advertising? If that is the condition of the society, when we are living with mutual distrust, distrust, then how can there be dharma? Dharma means dharyateti dharma, that which holds us, integrates us. Forget our spirituality in this life unless we can relate to each other by faith. If the faith has gone, how the society can remain integrated? It starts disintegrating. There's a mutual distrust everywhere. And that is like bleeding, blind leading the blind. That you have fooled the people and you are flourishing and you are just asking others to follow you. It is just like blind leading the blind. At last, it entails in the destruction, total destruction. The integrity is gone. Dharma means dharyateti dharma. You cannot even hold on to this material world what to speak of spiritual life. So that's why it is called this yathan, this andhe naiva niyamana yathanda. This type of advertisement. 
those who do they are actually full however apparently they may appear to be learned and they are actually bringing the entire civilization to a brink that's why the tech talk one tech talk i listen that, that are we intelligent we think we are intelligent all those tribal societies they are primitive but we forget those primitive society with their primitive ideas were quiet living happily for 60000 70000 that's our history goes we don't know for how long they are staying we have somehow calculated by saying 50000 60000 maybe even more than that they were living quite a good life and with this so called this panditaha of the present society in 200 years we have brought the entire civilization down to our knees we are at the brink of extinction now you will understand why it has been indicated andhinaiva niyamana yathanda the society because it's all advertisement propaganda everywhere people are just trying to fool others for what for some selfish gain which at last is not going to give even him the permanent happiness he is just going to some he is going to get some temporary happiness and that also will be taken away so that's the way the society goes on not only in this age even in the past age we have to get rid of it the real mukti is to go beyond this relative existence that's why sri ramakrishna used to say the world is dog's curly tail it will never get straightened that's the way the life works it's all our mind itself is a propaganda machine so this propaganda advertisement this will be there but if we are fooled by that we'll be like the blind led by the blind so be real intelligent upanishad like the mother is warning us cautioning us it's like the real mother in various ways it will have take various approaches just the way the mother to for the good for the welfare of the child sometimes explains sometimes reprimands scolds so upanishad also will be doing that it will warning sometime reprimanding sometime and sometime it will be luring us to do something which is really good for us is like the real mother upanishad the matri sama so just here also it is opening up our eyes to that take us to that realization that whatever that how exalted may be the karma how exalted may be the loka the plane of existence which we attain through all those actions they are bound to meet the same result of decay and death and it is full of evils so so this this idea that of this what the limitation of this karma the drawbacks of the karma will be further expounded in the ninth mantra so we will take up that mantra again in the next class this is which is an extension of the eighth mantra so that we will take up again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars